That is not Robin Hood. Well then, who, sir, is about to relieve you of your magic box? Hello, faithful listener, and welcome to A Kettle and Some String, where we take a random trip through all the Doctor's adventures in time and space. I'm Dave, and as my guest today, I'm delighted to introduce Mr. Andrew Blair. How are you doing, Andrew? Uh, I'm all right. How are you? I'm not doing too bad, thanks. What story are we going to be looking at? We are going to be looking at uh, Robot of Sherwood today. Yeah, the part of Peter Capaldi's first season back in 2014. Yeah, 2014. Yeah, sounds right. And this is the one where Stephen Moffat apparently said to Mark Gatiss, Robin Hood with robots, please. Yeah. I'm not sure if the title came first, because I know they had that series where it was like, we've got the title and it's a big sell it to everyone title. But yeah. Um, What was it? It was part of the kind of thing of like... um, is the Doctor a good man? Well, let's put him opposite a good man from history. And then the, I think that was the logic behind it. I don't know. Based on the website I read about two hours ago, that was the logic behind it. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah, that this good man identity that's been since the start of the season, they thought, yeah, it would be a good idea to put himself against a actual hero figure and see how he reacts. Um, and Mark Gatiss was a big fan of Robin Hood, so he was happy enough to go ahead with that. And he liked the yeah. 1938 film, The Adventures of Robin Hood, the Errol Flynn film. So yeah. that was sort of his... Because there's all, also so many versions yet, isn't there? Throughout yeah, because the they have a few like they have a few clips and things of um, of different sort of different versions of it, including the one with uh, Trouton in it. Yeah, the, the, the little montage uh, pictures. And yeah, Patrick Trouton was the first person to play it on television. So they put that in as a wee Easter egg. Oh, nice. I think I read that somewhere, but you know that kind of thing where like you, a lot of Doctor Who trivia puts, pushes out useful information, and it's like, no, yeah. I've had kids, so the Doctor Who trivia is getting pushed out, and I suppose that's probably okay, you know? I should probably spend most of my time looking after my family rather than remembering production codes. <laughs> seems probably a better use of my time and brain power. Yeah, I think I can, I would agree with that, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> All this useless stuff that us Doctor Who fans eh, I will remember. transfer that knowledge uh, to at least one of the children. <laughs> Are they watching Doctor Who? Or... Uh, well, the youngest one's still a toddler, so um, um, I've got a four-year-old, and he has watched a little bit of it, but um, I'm not willing to rush him into it. But what he has listened to is a bunch of um, um, the kind of audio of some of the missing 60s stories and a couple of um, of the Target books, it's audio books at bedtime. Oh, cool. Because um, I didn't want to just sort of be like, okay, right, you're three, you can basically, you're basically, okay, ready for this. I thought I'd start them off in like the little Doctor Who Mr. Men books and things and bring them in that way. So, yeah. And it is quite weird seeing like with the sort of Doctor Who Mr. Men books, um, he just honed straight in on the Daleks, the thing he loved. Um, 
really quickly and sort of picked up all these little bits and pieces and things. So that's like kind of most of his knowledge is through that that box set of um like Doctor First, Doctor Second, Doctor Doctor Thirteenth, and everything through there. And he's yeah. and he's tried a few episodes and found them a bit scary, but he likes the Cushing films. I think that's probably a quite a good sort of starting point for um uh for him. It's quite bright and colourful um ones and it's just about the right level of scary. Um and one day he just I don't know why, he just picked up the Androids of Tara off the shelf and said, We're gonna watch this and watch... <laughs> I mean, I was just like, Yeah, this is brilliant. I absolutely like <laughs> I don't know if I'd have chosen it because I I wasn't planning like what's what am I going to watch uh, with him first at that stage, but he just picked it up and was like, "We're going to watch this," and it, he did he did want to watch all of it in one go. So by the end, he'd sort of drifted off a bit. But yeah. I think for I think he was three or four at the time, so you know that's pretty good going for for that. And yeah, like Andrew's attire is a really good one for that age. It's like it's a good kind of. Adults can enjoy it. Children can enjoy it. There's not any sort of, there's not anything too hideously violent apart from you can kind of always forget at the end of it. Part two is when the doctor kind of stoves um, an android's head and it looks like yeah, Romana. Just, yeah, and I'd, I'd forgotten that, so I was just sitting there going, and um, my son's just like, "What happened?" And I was just like, "Uh, well, um, there was an android. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah." yeah. Doctor just sort of bash someone's head in. It's just, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, um, but yeah, that was quite a good one. But um, there's so many sort of things grabbing his attention and keeping his attention um, with his friends because his friends, none of them are really um, like they kind of they all playing at different things in the in nursery and stuff, and it, none of it's Doctor because it's not on, and they're all too young for it really. So yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Um, um, pace myself. I'm like he's definitely got a fondness for it, and I'm sure he'll try it again um, at some point. But I don't want to just be like, <laughs> like age five, going, okay, this is an unearthly child. Do you want to do the pilot, or do you want to just start off with the <laughs> broadcast version? And we have to watch it twice because Kennedy got shot. You know, I'm, I don't want to go yeah. full in on that version of it. <laughs> just like if he picks up another DVD off the shelf, great. Um, and I'll watch the new ones when they come out and see if they're, you know, see how they are. Like, I think he saw the trailer for the new ones and was like, no, I'm scared. I don't want to watch that. And I was like, fair enough, because it is a bit. It's like yeah, you it's see a... the trailer and you picture it from a week, you know, like a probably two wee kids point of view for it. You know, yeah, what's the first one? That it's, they're calling it the, the smile or the creepy the smi smile. Yeah, I think it was, honestly, I think it was all the... um. Uh, um, you know, in the star base, the Yata. No, what's the warrior called? The kind of sort of bug-like. I know the one. Thing. Thing. Yeah, I can't yeah. The name of it. Yeah, yeah I haven't. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. But people will be either going, "Oh yeah, that thing," or you know, they'll have the name in their head and going, "That you know, that one." Um, I think that definitely spooked him a bit. And it, to be fair, it's it's a fast cut trailer full of. <laughs> weird images and he doesn't know that he thinks David Tennant's doctor is um a little um yellow man with a, a little flick of hair who argues with some tarans like he hasn't seen um much beyond clips of stuff yet so he hasn't got the full context for 
what is going on and who everyone is. Um, so yeah, it is a bit bewildering. Um, but um, yeah, I'll watch it and see whether it's going to terrify him beyond belief or not before seeing if he wants to watch it again. Uh, has he ever seen this episode? Has he ever seen this Sherwood episode? This one? Um, no, I don't think he's seen um, a Capaldi episode. He goes through phases with the Mr. Men books and he didn't want to read Dr. Twelfth for ages and ages and ages. <laughs> so he went through a phase of like, I had to read it every night for a fortnight for a bit. I don't think I, I think I might have shown him a wee clip of of all the doctors um rather than for episodes, so I don't think he's seen anything of this one now. I think I can't remember what clips I've shown him. Just been like on YouTube and trying to find something that's quite child friendly. Um for like, you know, a wee kid. Rather than I did make the mistake once of leaving it on and it went on to uh the you know the end of Genesis of the Daleks part four or five oh, when the we <laughs> when the, the Dalek mutant grabs him by the throat. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it went on to that. Moment. Yeah. yeah. Um anyway, he um okay, so that was went on and he was terrified, and then the next night he asked for it again. So <laughs> that's oh, well. So that's yeah. So that's interesting. He kind of, yeah. He sometimes is being brave for it, and sometimes he's like, actually, no, I don't want to terrify myself beyond. Yeah, yeah. Capaldi could be quite scary in season eight. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is yeah. This one's quite probably if you're going to show a season eight one, probably this one, off the top of my head. Yeah, um, it could be quite frightening, like quite a few of the other ones. Yeah, probably. I don't know if I'd show him. <laughs> I don't think I'd show them the ones, the two ones before this, um, for a while. The co- I was just thinking of the context of this one because, like, it was, um, you know, you'd had the trailer with him going into darkness, a line that feels like it was probably written for the trailer, um, mm-hmm. and all the kind of, you know, uh, am I a good man stuff, and they were very much going for that. And then you're like, third episode, we're going to have kind of quite a broad comedy with Robin Hood, um. So, I feel like um, this is definitely one where it felt like I don't know. It it feels like it's um, it's aged quite well in that respect um, because you're sort of going, okay. At the time, this was probably a bit more startling because you just had the one where he was like, um, just you know, making sort of casual quips about people who had been melted and stuff like that. And so I think yeah, having kind of continuing that kind of grumpiness in this one actually feels like it's got a little bit of sort of a little bit more nuance and texture to it as opposed to the sort of the first two ones are very much he was just like complete grump in the first two wasn't he it was just sort of like she's my carer and all that it's (laughs) i think in the the first two one it's very much more just sort of early first doctor kind of like a some bit fourth doctor kind of that alien distance to it combined with the ability to do a good quip that you get from the new series doctors quite consistently so like kind of um top layer if you want to say a few words from the dalek one for, um kind of stuff is really really grim but also kind of funny that, that kind of thing of um it's just really morbid and kind of distant from the kind of suffering of people is a quite a contrast considering you've just had nine, ten, and eleven, and whereas in this one he is more just like he's very grumpy, but there's nothing to that extent. There's no kind of like 
um someone's suffering terribly and he's just like okay that's fine um <laughs> yeah it's, it's yeah. like the bigger picture means i don't have time to worry about that so when we go this is a lot more kind of grumpy guy who's fed up with young young people having a good time um kind of thing so it gives it a little bit more texture to it and sort of moves it completely away from that um black comedy kind of aspect they had in the first two which was like sort of yeah i mean sometimes it wasn't even comedy it was just did he just did he kill him did that was that oh i see you yeah, left it actually do that yeah you've left that deliberately ambiguous as whether he killed someone okay fun first episode lovely <laughs> yeah. okay it's interesting because mark gators wrote the first draft of before he was cast and he just assumed that the new doctor was going to be a darker doctor so it was written in that way and the title is a play on the ITV series Robin is Sherwood in the 80s, which oh, yeah. I sort of remember, but was that the one with Tony Robinson or was that made, no, that was Made Marion. Made Marion and Merry Men, I remember Mary that. Yeah. I don't think I saw Robin of Sherwood. I have heard about it because it was like, I think it's one of those ones that if you've watched Doc 2 at all, you've heard about it because it was one of the rivals for viewers in the 80s and the guy from Vengeance and Varos is in it. Um, oh, yeah, of Sean, Connery, Connery, yeah. well, Sean Connery's son Jason Connery as yeah, most people yeah. would know him but Doctor Who fans is like that guy from Vengeance and Varos the greased up guy from Vengeance and Varos who can't really act um, yeah the one who was talkless and was tied up yeah yeah <laughs> that guy yeah yeah I mean to be fair I can't tell whether his I can't tell whether he's bad at acting in that one or if he is just delivering the incredibly earnest dialogue as it's intended to be delivered um, I would have to ask Philip Martin, and as I don't know him <laughs> at all, yeah, it's a work in progress. So the first couple of drafts of this were quite different. Um, I read yeah. that in the first draft, the Doctor used his sonic to make the log spin, but then he was Robin was distracted by Clara and Phil. I can't imagine him having the log spinning. That just seems like a terrible... Like, there's, there's quite a few things which I'll read out, which mm. just sound like terrible ideas, and I'm so glad they took it out. Making the log spin was the first one. And then, that sounds like, yeah. That, well, that just sounds like it's one of those ones where you're like, okay, if it was a book, fine. But then you've got the TV version of it and someone, presumably in the effects team, just goes through all the possible ways of making that work. And then someone says, can't he just push him off? Yeah. That's much cheaper. Yeah. And it, and also it's just, I don't know. It's just, I think it's probably more direct and simple and that makes it funnier as well. Like... I know. Also, anything where you remove the possibility of someone on Gallifrey base going, a sonic screwdriver can't do that. And it's like it's a magic wand. Deal with it. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, can, I can. I'm glad they took that out because I think it's just much more. It just much more efficient. I have to say, I am. I, I must admit, I do sometimes get. But I'm not Gallifrey base sort of style. But uh, I do think the sonic has become too much here. Sort of a get out of jail card in the new series, mm. like to an extent, but. Yeah, um, like I, I don't like... mind. Like later on in this, he, he makes the thing blow up the yeah. the target. That's fine, yeah. but like it's just another episode where he's you know like it can do a full body scan <laughs> to absolutely anything. I suppose I it's it. like as long as it's not kind of. I suppose as long as it's not kind of just actually just sorting the entire episode out. Yeah. If it's just the case of okay, we just need to move the story along really quickly, so it's gonna be the thing that magically moves the episode along. I don't mind it too much um like body scan yeah do you know what fine i i think at this stage it's one of those ones where it's just like 
the format has changed and the pace of the storytelling has changed, so they do just need to whack on through with uh, whatever they're doing. And if that means, I mean, if that means that effectively you've just had the doctor sort of staying up one night, like just sort of working out how to do that, testing it out, testing all these things, and just sort of sitting there going, Matt Smith's doctor is one you can absolutely imagine doing this endlessly, endlessly, endlessly with childlike enthusiasm, just like testing out new stuff for it. Yeah, I mean, there must be about 200 settings on that Sonic Screwdriver. <laughs> I mean, a few ones on. yeah, it's one of those things where if you start imagining how to make sense of all the nonsense on screen, then you start imagining like the Doctor and the Master and their TARDISes doing these like massive like Trello boards of stuff, um, like kind of like court boards and everything showing how they're working and how they worked anything out. And well, that's quite funny as an idea, actually showing that in, um, in an episode would for more than about maybe 30 seconds would be um just sort of probably too much so yeah it's it's one of those ones where it's just like look we're just gonna have look i just need to do this for the story at work i've only got 45 minutes or whatever it is 50 minutes now so just look it's got a button it does it he worked it out okay he's very clever and has a lot of spare time so there we go it's fine I mean, there were some other things in the first in the first draft in particular where um, there was a couple other fights, but there was also the vault was inhabited by a mysterious hunter. It was called the ship's personal interface, whose human form was damaged in the crash in the crash, and now had a stag's head, which would have yeah. been interesting. And also, That's when a... the ship exploded, gold actually rained down on Sherwood Forest. All right. I mean, that's that idea is quite nice, but also you can see immediately why they cut it for like budgetary um, reasons. And the the hunt idea is it's quite nice because I mean visually you're just like okay that's a cool image kind of fairly standard Doctor Who thing of like, like explaining why this horror image is sort of cropping up um, and you know kind of like visit the visitation there's a kind of there's a, an android disguises death kind of thing is yeah. like makes for a good visual but also you can see why they cut it because it's just like where where does it you know where does it fit in you've got too much. Too much stuff happening in there already, I suppose, yeah. if you're kind of going to add stuff like that in. You've got enough characters going on. You've got the Sheriff of Nottingham. You've got um, the Robot Knights. You've got you've got all sorts of things going on. Yeah, it's probably a yeah. character too much. In the second draft, there was quite a bit of violence, by the sounds of it. Clara yeah. thrust a lance into the Sheriff's side, which sure. then revealed that he was a, you know, an android. Then the Doctor, it was the Doctor who fought the Sheriff at the end and decapitated him. And then Robin fought him after that and stabbed him yeah. and let him have his head back, lured him into a vent, and he fell into the engine was his death rather than falling into this the gold. All right. And it was the doctor rather than Clara that was interrogated. And this is this is again you can sort of see the value of of redraft and stuff, really. So like this is definitely better, but you're also feeling like it's yeah, it's not quite there. So you can sort of imagine the sort of meetings and throwing ideas around to hone stuff like that. It's it's one so it's a couple of sword fights too many really isn't it? It's like yeah. I mean it's like I mean yeah, Androids of Tara, I love Androids of Tara, but the last episode is about eighty percent sword fight. This would make the episode it feels like maybe like fifteen minutes of solid sword fighting, and again, kind of like the spinning log thing. It's like just have them fall off. Uh, just just it's much easier. Just have them fall off. It gives it a nice little kind of. Um, sort of symmetrical thing you've got the start and beginning using the same um same trick and everything so it 
it's definitely one of those things where you can sort of see it's like okay we're honing it we're doing something different with it but also it's still too complicated and it still needs simplified assuming with um gators and moffat being sort of friends to that extent their sort of script meetings with the I don't know who the script editor was on this one, but all the people there must be presumably they know each other and their way of working, so it should be quite good. It's quite good fun working out all the kind of ways of streamlining stuff and improving stuff at this stage, I'd hope. Um, probably a bit frustrating if you've come in and was like, right, okay, he gets stabbed, decapitated, and falls into an engine and was like, could we just have him fall off a log? <laughs> yes. Just, yeah, I, I'm sorry that my camera seems to just be going on and off and now it's just side to go off, so I'll probably be back soon, but... Uh... <laughs> but, uh, there's not many things in those first couple of drafts that I would have I'm glad that they got rid of all of them quite frankly from reading them I don't think there was anything there that oh man you know why did they not keep that in I think it was quite wise removing as you say the things that they did yeah uh, it seems like a seems like a fairly solid piece of um, editing rewriting as they go so good good work everyone Mark Gatiss was the one that suggested Tom Riley for the role of Robin and he right. almost accepted without reading the script and got <laughs> the offer while watching Mark Gatiss on stage. All right. By serendipity. Mm. And uh, he had learned archery at Scout. Ben Not Miller sure. was asked if he could ride a horse. It uh, was asked if he could ride a horse, sorry, for a role in Doctor Who. And he was doing a play as well at the time and got the script that night. And he recalled watching Tom Baker in the 70s. And that had inspired him to study physics. Yeah. The first TARDIS scene was getting filmed in another fire alarm. These things happen. And um, Peter Capaldi and Tom Riley were a lot of fun during recording, causing Jenna Coleman to laugh so much she had to move until she was calmed down. She had to go away because she just couldn't keep a straight face. And it was Peter Capaldi's birthday during this episode getting shot, and he was presented with cupcakes on a Dalek cake stand and banners in his trailer. It's nice when that sort of thing happens. I thought I recognised Friar Tuck. So he's the guy who was in Revelation of the Daleks, I think. Yeah, Trevor Cooper. Yeah. Yeah, and is Alan Adele? Is that? I'm fairly sure that's it's Ian Howard who. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is Mark Gates, his husband. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I recognised the name, but I didn't. I didn't recognise him. Um. Possibly, yeah. There's a lot of people in this one. Just like I can vaguely recognise them from stuff, but um, yeah, like I yeah. said, bra brain power since um, being a dad has just very much gone out of the window. <laughs> just getting through. We the just day. go through the the guest cast. Uh, so we've got obviously Tom Riley's Robin Hood, who was in. Um, I noticed that he's been famous in a series in the last year, or so I've not seen it, but it's got a very long name. The woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. It's called. <laughs> Oh, is that? Oh, is that? That was a, that's a spoof of um, it's like a bunch of novels that are just like the woman in like um. I'm fairly sure there's a film with um, what's her face is in Oppenheimer and um, that Tom Cruise film where he dies all the time. Uh, Emily Blunt. Yeah, I'm fairly sure she was in one of those films. And there's yeah, there's a, a there's a bunch of books along those lines. I think it's a spoof of them. Hence the long title. Yeah, I just thought, what a long name for a series. That is quite um, a long name, if you, yeah. <laughs> and he was in Inside Number Nine as well, an episode of oh, that. Oh, was he in that one? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I remember that one, yeah. We've got Ben Muller as the Sheriff of Nottingham, who, yeah. of course, is famous for uh, Armstrong and Muller, 
with yeah. uh, him who was in the Doctor the Widow in the Wardrobe. That's the one. Yeah, and he's really good in this. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I really. Tom like Riley. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, there's no tough notes. Um, Tom Riley's having a great time as well. Yeah. And we've got Roger Ashton Griffiths as Quail, who was in Gangs of New York and Game of Thrones. He's got quite a small part in this. He's the guy that oh, gets. Oh yeah. Killed. Oh yeah, no, I reckon. Yeah, that's that's one of those guys who you really recognise the faces of. He's in everything, isn't he? Um, playing his ward is Sabrina Bartlett, who's been. She seems. She seems to follow the tradition in the new series of uh, getting young actors and then before they become big. Because mm. uh, she's been since Doctor Who, Bridger in the Larkins, Victoria. She's popping up all over the place. Made Marion essentially. Oh yeah, she's. Oh yeah, she's in Bridgerton, isn't? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. And of course, as you said earlier, Trevor Cooper is Friar Tuck. Robert Sherwood was transmitted in September 2014 with Peter Capaldi as the Doctor and Clara Osworth, of course, being Jenna Coleman. What What was your first thoughts when you first saw Robert Sherwood? Did you see it on first transmission? Or? I would have done, yeah. Um, I can't remember sort of detailed ones. I think my kind of first thought was um, it was all right. I wasn't too fast on it. It was, I think I quite liked the kind of... Um, bit where it's like Rob no Robin Hood's a real person who turns you know turns out to be a legend kind of thing. I quite like that angle on it. I don't remember being sort of madly keen on it. I thought it was solid but not um kind of exceptional. Um I think on repeat viewings it's definitely got a lot better for me. I'm sort of similar. I was not a fan of this at all on first transmission. I, I just was not clicking with Peter Capaldi's doctor at all. It took me till listen the next episode to get him and think Okay, right, I think I'm starting to get a handle in this guy. Uh, I just thought this episode at the time was too jokey, was too grumpy, and I, and I hated the ending, which we'll get to the, the ending with the, the arrow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so my first reaction when I first saw the episode back in the day was, what is this? Um, but obviously, watching it the other day, I might have changed my mind. But uh, we'll, we'll see. If we just go into the story then, uh, yeah. so it starts with the Doctor offering to take Clara anywhere in time and space. So she asks to meet Robin Hood and the TARDIS lands in Sherwood Forest in 1190-ish. Yeah. I actually liked him when I watched it the other day. I'm being a bit grumpy in this first scene. I mean, he's, I don't know what these equations are he's writing on. the. We never find out what these equations are on the blackboard. No, I mean, watching this scene the other day, I was sort of, for, you know, catching up on this, I was... The two things that struck me were... Um, I just noticed a lot more about the performance this time round because I think I was probably, I think distance from broadcast gives you um, a lot more space to appreciate what's happening, especially when you see, you know, the bigger picture of it. And Clara's complimenting him quite a lot and he is bash batting it away sort of really quickly and he's busying himself with equations, which I think might just be a kind of, might be meaningless. Doesn't I don't think he might just be writing it because... It's it feels like a kind of doctory thing to do, rather than because he needs to do it, and that sort of that kind of ongoing thing with um, twelfth Doctor, especially of um, the Doctor, is a kind of thing as an ideal rather than the person he is most days. So there's a kind of thing of um, in this one is like whenever he actually gets complimented for being um, the Doctor, he immediately seems slightly embarrassed and, and dismisses it, yeah. and. What's the um, sort of imposter syndrome kind of thing, which really makes sense, uh, Doctor, given what we know about him now, but at the time, uh, less so. 
it's that kind of thing of like Clara loves Robin Hood, and I think Gatiss does this again in um, Empress of Mars, where in that one, Bill is really really keen on sci-fi movies and wants there's something to do with a sci-fi movie motivating the plot as in this one clara loves robin hood this will never be mentioned again it's never been mentioned before just pl- <laughs> yeah. plot needs to happen kind of thing and fair enough thing is now now they've got the thing with disney you feel like i think they would have gone the whole because i imagine clara would absolutely have fancied the disney robin hood the fox one oh, uh, yeah. And, yeah and clara is also the kind of person who like Everyone else would be like, okay, that's you know, that's a made up character, whereas Clara would actually go, Do you know, know what? No, I've got a chance there. That's the kind of person she is. Yeah, now they could probably now they could they could ask Disney Robin Hood in there. What's the worst that could happen? Um I mean, Sorry, I'm up for that. Um, yeah, why not? I, I, of all the companions, Clara's definitely the one where I'm just like, No, she would believe she'd had a chance there, um, with the Fox version of Robin Hood. Yeah, I quite like the bit where it's just like companion has random interest to generate the whole story. Um, Jenna Coleman sells it, and yeah, she's so, so happy, isn't she? Clara is just so happy in this opening scene, like, oh my god, yeah. you're going to take me to see Robin Hood. Yeah, it's and he's just looking those... a spoon as if to say, "Aye, okay, well, I think you're mad." What it's a, doesn't exist, but okay, let's let's humour her. Yeah, it's the kind of thing of just like, okay, yeah, we'll go along with it. Um, but I also, yeah, that kind of thing of he goes from writing equations on the board to just looking a spoonful of ice cream. It's like. He's probably just been eating some ice cream, and then Clara's come in, and he's like, "I'm going to write some equations on the board to look smart." Yeah. Mostly, I've been eating ice cream. Assuming that's what it is, the equations probably mean nothing. He's probably saying it's in Gallifrey, and it's just it's just some symbols. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, that seems about right. But yeah, and Jenna Coleman absolutely sells the thing of Clara suddenly loving Robin Hood from nowhere, um, because otherwise the story won't happen. So yeah, fair enough. They absolutely sell that scene, and oh yeah, also they're kind of. Oh, that TARDIS set is so good. Yeah, I love the shot where at the end of the scene it pans up and we see like the, the round old bit at the top spinning round. Yeah. Yeah, and you get a sense of because they start off in the balcony and they move down and it's yeah. just sort of just the space to do that because you know that kind of thing with Tom Maker saying by like year five of being the doctor, he knew all the angles you could shoot the TARDIS <laughs> console from. Whereas in this yeah. one, there's just so much space to do that and different shots you can do and yeah and they've got that kind of lovely pan up to the top and it's just it feels a little bit more like a kind of magic box um when that happens and he pulls the lever and it pans up and it's just like yeah that's a really great set the space the way it's able to be used michael pickwood is obviously some sort of genius yeah um of all the bit in the opening scene that was the it was on my notes in like big letters Oh my god, this set is good. It's my favourite TARDIS set. I, I, I think it's yeah. just beautiful. I'd love to know what the time scene arrows off the half-light were that he talks about, but we're never going to know. Nah, but... never going to know. That's fine. That's fine not knowing. I mean, he might have been making it up. Yes, he's got a habit of doing that, our Doctor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just assume he's making most of it up. I assume most of the time it's not. It's never the place he intends to go. And it's like, whenever he... Whenever he shows people things that are meant to be sort of showing off or kind of big and important, it usually means they're about to have some sort of massively traumatic event happen to them in a series yeah. finale kind of episode. So I think it's probably best we don't see them too often. So she's going off to see we're going off to see Robin Hood. Yeah. And we get this first we get we see the leaves, we see the water, we see the forest setting the scene beautifully as Sherwood Forest. And then he comes out the TARDIS, mocking, right? Okay, he's not gonna be here. And then uh Arrow goes into the TARDIS and 
head to toe in Lincoln Green, this guy introduces himself as Robin Hood and calls him a bony rascal, which <laughs> is first day quite a few uh, lovely quibs he gives him. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the ones we're getting Gates to write this was a really sensible choice because just from his other work, he really is at home with that kind of vernacular and there's a lot of kind of bonus puns uh, for nerds in there. And it's like kind of thing of um, that sort of time warrior tradition of um, the long shank rascal with a mighty nose kind of yeah. florid Same dialogue. Gag, yeah, yeah. Um, he's having a lot of fun doing that kind of dialogue in it it really works there's a, a few other good bits of that as well but yeah, yeah. The, um tom tom Riley comes out and immediately sells this version of robin hood i think maybe just the kind of first time around you see it and you, if you're not expecting it it's just like oh no that is a bit much um but yeah it's <laughs> yes yeah, a really good really funny committed performance yeah that's slightly demented twinkle when he's laughing as well which really play, pays off later yeah, which completely just does the doctor's head in. He hates his life. He's laughing yeah. all the time. Saying to him, like, uh, well, if it punch you in the face, has anyone done that? Because I'll do it. Yeah. He's just so grumpy with him. He's just like, why is this guy so happy in front of me? What? Who is he? And it's it's just the thing of, like, finally, after two episodes of, it's not that he didn't get comedy in the first two episodes. He got quips. Like, it's, you know, it's like Moffat and a Moffat co-write. There's going to be gags in them. But here, this is a lot more kind of, remember everyone, Peter Capaldi is excellent at comedy. And so he gets all these grumpy doctor kind of jokes in there and just the kind of constant bickering and insults with them is really, it's really well done, really well played. Chance to see him do something else because obviously you need to, it's consistent with what we've seen before, but it's also a little bit, it's a little bit different, so it, you need to expand what the doctor's able to do. Um, the episodes, like you know, they, they did that with Smith as well. I am um, watching this again. I just really like this scene um, of setting up the entire thing with a little bit of a, of a sword fight. It, it just sort of sets up the tone of the episode really well. And then Clara comes out, of course, in her dress. Yeah, in this beautiful red dress, very Maid Marian looking dress, and and he's sitting the Tom. Uh, Tom. I'm getting mixed up because he's Tom the Tiddler or whatever it is later. But Robin Hood then says, is there any more in there? Because he thinks, is there any other yeah. women just coming out of this box? And he challenges the Doctor to a, a duel for the TARDIS. Yeah. I mean, that's again, like, if you don't know what the tone of this episode is going to be, it's like, yeah, here we go. Robin Hood's challenging for a duel, uh, to a duel pretty much straight away. Clara's found uh, like a Maid Marian dress. It's I haven't actually seen the... Um, Errol Flynn version of Robin Hood, but you you kind of know it. He anyway. was a flamboyant sort of guy, you know. Yeah, you know the kind of the tone of it, and you know the imagery of it, and they're really playing up to that, and they're leaning in to that specific kind of panto thing of of people laughing, people slapping their thighs, and people going for uh, kind of actually now we're going to have a duel. Um, that kind of almost. almost it's knowingly silly, and it immediately goes, okay, so this is the bit of a romp episode. So... Absolutely. Adjust Absolutely. your... Yeah, adjust you know, adjust your settings accordingly. This is what the episode's going to be like. And I think there's definitely an element of... I don't think fans... And by fans, I mean people like you and me, people who, you know, appear in Doctor Who podcasts and have Gallifrey-based logins or have had at some point kind of thing... I'll admit that. <laughs> I, I don't think that 
um, I think there's definitely a um, a level of dissatisfaction with the bit of a romp episodes. It's almost because... like it's a dirty word in fandom, isn't it? Whenever anyone says it's a romp, they don't like it. I know. I think there's a. I think there's a a very genuine sense of some people don't like this kind of episode because that's not really their sense of humor or their taste, and that's yeah. fine. Saying that this sort of episode shouldn't be in Doctor Who, which just again, it's not a majority of fans, but you do get people who are like, "Why is this sort of thing happening?" And it was like because they have they have to do lots of different things, yeah. and they can, and they you know it's they have a broad palette of things to do, so they it have a bit of be. a romp episode sometimes. It has to be because like if we had Caves and Josani or something, what a bleak, horrible show we would we would all be like. You know, needing therapy after. Yeah, I mean, I've, you know. I've written about this elsewhere, but essentially, with Doctor Who is like the fan favorites are often these really grim, depressing stories. Yes. Where it's just like, um, you know, Androzani and Genesis of the Daleks and stuff, and um, ones where the Doctor kind of loses, or you know, there's some sort of um, darker ones. Yes. Yeah, the darker ones. Um, but yeah, it's like if the show was like that all the time and everyone had a horrible time, then no one would travel in the TARDIS and the yeah. Doctor wouldn't travel in the TARDIS because it was just like, what's the point of doing this if it's just, um, how are you with swearing in this podcast? Uh, go for it. <laughs> no one would travel if it was shit all the time. Like, no. it's just it's like in series one, they immediately go, alright, oh, the Doctor's kind of stern he's authority, he gets into trouble, he's unpleasant he's rude, and then after a bit they're like I mean, no, they would just leave they would just leave if he's going to be like this all the time so we better ha- do something about it. Like, right, write a bit where Barbara really goes at him until he starts being nice to them. Okay, yeah, right, okay. Now we've got that. a show that can actually last because otherwise it would just be, okay, every three weeks the Doctor meets new people and then after three weeks they go, you're horrible, I'm leaving. Um, yeah. I'm mostly traumatized by everything that's just happened to me. Bye. Um, yeah, They have to have a bit of a romp episodes and stuff like that occasionally and vary the tone. Because otherwise, it would just be um, he's in nineteen sixties of grim dark stuff with an unpleasant man abducting strangers, which is not the show that we have. So that's the thing is, like, I I can understand maybe people going, ah, oh, this this isn't my sense of humor. This isn't for me. That's fine. You know, that's that's not a kind of thing where you kind of you can really criticize someone for saying that. Um, yeah. a subjective thing about a bit of art that's you know fine saying that this sort of thing doesn't belong in doctor who which again since i haven't been in the forums that much i haven't seen people saying that kind of thing for ages but yeah it's just like no it you you need a bit of variety in there and this is and this is a a good bit of variety after you know in context of broadcast two pretty grim episodes yeah i mean I said earlier, I, I didn't like the humour in this when it was first on, but watched it the other day. I found this fight hilarious, where he was yeah. just so grumpy and going like, I've got a spoon, let's go for it. And he, and they're having a duel with a spoon. I mean, it's just so Doctor yeah. Who. And they where sell that. that? From, I don't know. But... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I think that's the thing of like, you just sell him, and he's like, oh, he's had the ice cream, Elliot, he's got a spoon, and he's going to do a sort of... That's a very knowing uh, kind of play on the reputation of Doctor Who, kind of, he's a pacifist, he doesn't have weapons kind of thing. But that's the kind of thing of, in the case of Androzani, he wouldn't have brought out a spoon at any point, because no. it's not the kind of story. This is the kind of story where he brings out a spoon and has a sword fight. Obviously, in a real, you know, in a kind of a story where it's going for a bit more verisimilitude, 
he would be immediately stabbed and spend the rest of the episode bleeding <laughs> to death and then regenerate. It's not like in a story. So, yeah, spoon fight. Um, God, can you imagine if the Doctor regenerated in this episode? God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just, I mean, God, that'd be impossible to do these days, but imagine, <laughs> imagine just like three episodes in, it's like, no, actually, it's um, it's the other guy everyone said it was going to be, Daniel something. It's him. We only got Capaldi for three episodes, and now it's someone else. That would be a twist. That would, that would be a twist. twist. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that get get this glove. I don't know where the glove. He just seems to bring out this glove that he must always have in his coat somewhere. I mean, it's, it's random. It's like a gauntlet glove. There's a few nice little character notes in um in episode. This isn't one I was thinking of, but then yeah, absolutely, the Doctor would carry around a, a kind of dueling glove because for all that he's you know for all the kind of um the legend, the reputation of the Doctor as a pacifist. The day-to-day guy is the kind of person who was like, "Yeah, absolutely, I'll pick up a, I'll, I'll have a sword fight. In fact, I, I, I do it surprisingly often, and I quite enjoy it." <laughs> um, so yeah, absolutely, he's going to go in for that, and he's going to have a little. He's going. I assume he's got a series of gloves for different things like falconry, all that kind of stuff, goalkeeping. <laughs> and he rattles off as well to back that up. All the teachers that taught him how to duel. Yeah, I feel that like. Puts him in the water with a. He puts Robin in the water with this very. I'm not quite sure how much you would teach that in a dueling class to just <laughs> bump, pump, bump them into the water, but it, it's... yeah, it's from that's one he's learned from a overconfident coward, um, or he invented that himself. <laughs> Do you think they have dueling on Gallifrey? I don't know, something like that, because that feels like the kind of thing where, yeah, someone like, oh, let's go, let's go find Wanky, the meddling monk, is like in a duel. Oh yeah, I'd imagine just, him doing that. And then yeah. Yeah, he just dodged to one side and shoved someone off with his bum. That's <laughs> that feels that feels right. Uh, yeah, minor note on uh, on this um, in the big wide shots. Yeah, uh, you can see the stunt double isn't Peter Capaldi, and I feel like that is just a long, grand tradition of Doctor Who stunt doubles. Terry Walsh. Yeah, you know, yeah, because like, yeah, <laughs> I, I know because I, I was like I was born mid eighties, so I never saw any of. Um, the sort of Baker Pertwee episodes um, when they were broadcast but sort of now it's just like rather than oh that's an obvious stunt though I'm just like it's Terry Walsh look it's Terry Walsh which yeah, and even later on even like in it's Arkham Infinity where of course it's clearly no Peter Davison with the, the Rice Krispies on his face running through oh. Amsterdam you know oh yeah because it's yeah it's a mix of like him and the guy who is actually inside the Omega suit Omega suit yeah yeah Collier yeah i mean that's that that's a grand tradition of doctor who so i have no objection to that um it's like obviously not him um quite happy with that um good brief sword fighters but it doesn't outstay its welcome it's just like okay we're gonna have some wide shots of the people who are trained sword fighters then we're gonna do some close-ups of the actors going and then yeah done and it's so how how comical does the 12th doctor look when robin then Puts him in the water, and then he just gets up, spitting the water out. He just looks—I don't know—Peter Capaldi just looks so comical when he's wet. <laughs> that's, a, uh, that's that's just like again another great tradition. That's more of a kind of a great tradition of British sitcom, which is whenever you've got someone who is maintaining a presence or semblance of dignity, the funniest thing you can possibly do is make them wet. Like yeah. any Roy Clark sitcom, like Harrison Bouquet, Last of the Summer Wine, someone who is a bit kind of up themselves and has a sort of sense of I'm a very dignified important person they get wet and then it's possibly the funniest thing 
that can happen in that situation. So yeah, it's it's that kind of it's that kind of feel as well. It's just like Capaldi's doctor has been very happy to have outwitted this guy who he's clearly really annoyed by, and the doctor is also clearly kind of very much about having this sort of semblance of dignity. Um, stage it's like Capaldi's doctor's going, "Oh, am I a good man?" And like, "No, you're an idiot with a box. We know this, but that's the kind of <laughs> arc for you." So it's like, "No, I'm a very serious, important." intellectual person who writes equations on board is like no you're a guy who eats ice cream with a spoon and hides it and then you get pushing it in rivers that's who you are um that's yeah. the doctor yeah that's that's all all lovely stuff and yeah a classic bit of uh and gets also the sort of spitting out of water thing in a in a comedic way which is just like no one ever spits like if you've ever been put in a water you're just like ah oh, god he's just doing the proper comedic spout yeah <laughs> in, near, in a nearby village, a man, Master Pale, protests as his young ward is dragged away. The sheriff of Nottingham says that she's needed to slave labour along with his gold. Then, of course, he spits in the sheriff's face and gets stabbed. Ben Miller's just fab at that outfit. It just <laughs> yeah, this Ben Miller's whole performance in this was just like the bit Douglas Adams said about. I don't want people doing funny lines, but doing funny walks and doing funny voices and stuff. I want them to play it completely seriously. And that will make it funnier. And Ben Miller's performance in this is just like that writ large. Yes. Every everything he does is played as a kind of proper boohist villain, but is played as if he's in a piece of high drama as opposed to the bit of a romp episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, and that makes it yeah. that makes it really, really funny in places as well. Um so simultaneously like I am playing this like I'm in King Lear, but also I know that I'm playing it like it's in King Lear, and I know it's in a silly episode of Doctor Who, and that makes it arch and funny. So even the bit where he kills someone is actually kind of funny in a again, like in a very dark way. Yeah, um, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah, just like actually, no, I am going to kill you, stab. And it's just it's um it kind of it's quite jarring and it kind of moves and it kind of the episode does this later it kind of it has a few bits which was like just remember if this was happening it would be horrible um yeah. so it's like a kind of it's a like kind of jarring segue i think deliberately here rather than accidentally it's a kind of jarring segue into of course people are suffering so we'll we'll deal with that later but yeah it reminds it's... me of um alan rickman doing it in prince of Thieves. yeah very I like think... that performance They'll definitely be going for that because, yeah, it's sort of riffing on all the kind of um, pop culture versions of the Robin Hood story. And um, with apologies to Keith Allen, I think Alan Rickman is, you know, the the guy everyone remembers um, for doing Sheriff of Nottingham. Um, honestly, it's like I'm struggling to think of anyone else off the top of my head to play that, even though I've seen plenty of Robin Hood versions. You know, what? Um, I can't either. I, I'm feeling exactly the same. That I'm, I, yeah, I can't think yeah. of the top of my head. Yeah, um, like lot, yeah. Keith Allen's in the BBC one. Uh, I'm, think, I'm thinking of um, Robin Hood Men in Tights now, so that's not really a good example. <laughs> but that that guy who's in it, like a kind of uh, sounds like he's from Brooklyn or something. I don't know who it is off the top of my head. Oh, who um, is that? I can't, yeah, oh, I can't remember. and um, who is it? Plays Sheriff of Nottingham isn't really the kind of big. Bad guy in the Disney one. Is that um Peter Ustinov in 
Oh, who's playing um, the king in that one? I can't remember who the sheriff of Nottingham right. is. The sheriff of Nottingham isn't really as big a deal in the Disney one. So I can't Oh well, that's I, yeah. Kids have watched it, so um, I've definitely watched it recently, but I can't I might remember. Have to check that out. <laughs> I mean, it's still a good film. So yeah, treat yourself. It's a great location, and like seeing things like you Turf or something, you know, it's, it's a bit. Ben Miller's just fab. Um, yeah, so Roman takes the Doctor and Clara to meet his merry men. Yeah. So we get introduced to obviously all the, the old favourites: Little John, Friar Tuck, Wolf Scarlet. Just a journey. <laughs> it's just again, it's just that kind of thing of um, swell, and they're all on the same page. Everyone's sort of pulling in the same direction. Of yeah. okay, you are playing this version in this context. You've got to give this kind of credence to the Doctor's theory that this is all robots or something um, by being so merry and arch and jolly to the point where it's like everyone's just having a great thigh-slapping time and to the point where it seems abnormal. Uh, everyone's goes just... nailed you, doesn't he? He's just like... Yeah. Just like, and stop it... the, the bantering. Yeah. And it kind of works. Again. It's just that kind of thing of... You know, they get doctors to do these sort of big speeches at conventions and stuff. Yeah. I'd really like to see them, instead of the big speeches, get them to do like kind of smaller bits that are just like, that would change massively depending on the incarnation. Like, you'd really love to see what all the other doctors would make of this scene. Like, Colin Baker, you can imagine, would be f- like, you know, that's, that's, in, that's very much in his wheelhouse, his doctor. But yeah, I'd, that's the kind of thing where I'd really like to see them do really mundane bits of dialogue that 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 um, the actor really lifts and makes sense of. Something like um, why I was thinking of this, but um, the bit in Dinosaurs in a Spaceship where Matt Smith goes, I've got a gang, yes, and which is one of the, I mean, I say this with complete sincerity, one of the all-time great line deliveries in Doctor Who, taking what should just be a kind of throwaway gag and elevating it so much to the point where just that's the kind of main thing I remember about that episode is that line delivery. Um, that's not a criticism of the episode. I like that episode. Um, no, I do as well. I, I get, yeah. I'm just picturing the scenes that you've said, Peter Davison doing it. Yeah, it's just that, kind of, that, that feels a little bit more interesting than being like, let's do these massive speeches out of context. Uh, I suppose it would involve other people doing the acting if it's a kind of dialogue bit. But <laughs> that's the kind of bit where I quite like imagining other Doctors take on it if when it's just them doing stuff that seems very specific to one incarnation and try to um, work it around into theirs. Um, yeah, very Meldrew, but again, it's sort of filtered through Capaldi sensibilities and it is just, again, it's funny and he's delivering it in a way that is still this grumpy doctor, but is very much I am in a romp episode kind of thing. And it's, yeah, it's all it's just struck, a lot of fun. It struck me in a scene where how much Capaldi's doctor changes compared to this in season 10. Um, I thought at the time, mellows so much. He's still got that, still the same man, but he just mellow, he's, he just like harshness sort of just, it's blunted almost as the years yeah. go on. Um, what a cuddly person, <laughs> ironically, in season ten yeah. compared to here. It's kind of what um, it's what Colin Baker wanted to do, really. I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think the key within this series is even though, and like, there's a lot of sort of stuff about audiences not really warming to him, and it's like, yep, yeah, fair enough. They've you know they've made the character difficult, and he is difficult. 
Uh, even as he gets um, more likable, he remains difficult. Um, Tenth Doctor is one of the most difficult Doctors, f- uh, uh, in my opinion, and he's probably the most popular now. Um, I think it's that thing of Colin Baker never got zingers and one-liners to to the same level as Capaldi did, which helps Capaldi a lot. Uh, yeah. Colin Baker was just like, let's give you some really... Pro-. Colin Baker's just like, really give you some provocative, edgy stuff to do. Uh, doesn't really amount to anything, whereas Capaldi's Doctor, they... It's partly planned, partly reacting, but the way that his character changes, it feels like they planned it out. I don't think they did plan it out any to anywhere near that extent of, you know, I don't think they knew how many series it was going to do or anything like that, but it feels like they yeah. were like, Peter, do you want to do three series and you'll start off really abrasive and difficult and you'll mellow as kind of world-weary person trying to do their best by the end? That's what it feels like they they it feels like they planned that. I don't think they did. I think there was. I think there's I always think it's an actual element. sort of thing that evolved, does it? Yeah. yeah. I think it's a reaction to two people's reactions, and also, yeah, the stories they wanted to tell. And you know, everyone. I think Doctor Who's always winging it. Um. So yeah, but it just it just, I mean, just worked so well. It just worked so well from this position. It just they ended up in probably the best place they could have gone from this position as a yeah. kind of character who changes. And also by the end of it, it's also just like it's not just the twelfth doctor has changed. It feels like answering questions that have been part of the doctor for a long time as well. Um like extra payoff if you've been, you know, watching it for a while. Um but yeah, um I really like Twelve's development, but yeah, um I'm quite glad winging it worked so well as it did. In season eight, he just like everything from the haircut to the clothes. It just he's just mm. it's yeah. interesting just watching this episode in isolation early on because he's just he just changes so much. So, yeah, yeah it starts off very severe and it does get more. So I suppose everything gets a bit looser. Like he's still wearing yeah. broadly the same sort of thing, but it's just in a in a less severe way, and there's a sense of being a bit more relaxed. And that kind of thing of like some days he'll turn up in like a velvet frock coat and being all very buttoned up, and then some days he'll just turn up in a hoodie with a big flask of hot chocolate kind of thing. Um, Which is ironic because yeah. there is a there is a, a joke later on, or one of the things he says to Robin later on is, you know, like shut it hoodie or something. It's like, yeah, yeah, well, that's <laughs> oh, quite yeah. ironic. Where you got the idea from? I mean, I assume he overanalyzes everything he says socially um, and then reflects on it. Um, he hangs been on in this scene with the, the sandal joke where he's like, oh, it is a sandal because it must obviously smell. Taking yeah. the hair from a... A bit as well, it's just Capaldi is like, you remember he's the kind of, you know, he's been in the thick of it. He did them, like the, the Legends of Cricklewood or whatever it was in BBC Two. He's done tons of comedy in his career. And so his timing is just the bit where he just like takes the, like injects the guy and takes a yes. blood sample at the end with just such kind of a lift attachment. Um is oh that's that's a lovely bit of business and the timing of it from everyone the guy sells it so well it's just uh lovely Seeing bit of business in six months and then well bye <laughs> yes <laughs> and then he wants a sample of pee from robin i mean <laughs> yeah and again he just plays that as if it's the most perfectly normal thing in the world is like very yeah very sort of socially just like no this is uh, this yeah this is fine um i just really like that scene it's just uh, beacon of landing really badly and clunkily but I think everyone just delivers and sells it. Um, I'm going to say that quite a lot during this episode. There's also in this 
same scene, they're vulnerable. You see the vulnerable side of them as well, because Clara talks about impossible heroes. This, this is a theme, obviously, throughout the whole episode in the season, where yeah. he says, when did you start believing in make-believe people? And then she just looks at him and goes, you really need me to answer? Yeah, that's, yeah. It. I mean, that's the thing, is like, I mean, at no point with the Twelfth Doctor are you ever unsure what the thematic um, kind of bit is going on. Like someone will remind you in a minute. It's very clear, um, which is fine. I, it's probably probably a good thing. Uh, yeah, it's there's a. I do like there's there's a little bit after all that where it's just like um yeah there's a there's. A, I could, when you're watching Doctor Who and it can segue from the Doctor is trying to take a sample of Robin Hood's piss into a metafictional treatise on <laughs> like that's, that's why Doctor Who's great um, yeah. and yeah and it goes from that and it goes into Clara talking to Robin Hood about and it's that thing of, sort of if you're doing a comedy bit and then you suddenly start, start taking it seriously um, you can use the contrast really well Um and again, it's sort of when Clara's like, you do laugh too much um, and turns it into a kind of character moment. Again, that's just really neat writing and sort of really efficient. And that tonal shift works. That's a lot more kind of um, graceful um, uh, than some you get. Um, so yeah, it's just a kind of thing of going, right, how do we get from um, the Doctor trying to take blood from people to... Um, to a, a character beat for Robin Hood. Yeah, just nicely done, everyone. Yeah, he says he's Robin Errol Loxley and he's lost Mary and, you know, the, obviously that's the story, the classic story. And uh, the next day, of course, he poses as Tom the Tinker and we go to this archery tournament with the prize being a golden arrow. Um, yeah. And this whole thing with the sheriff shooting an arrow into the target and then Robin splits the arrow, and then he splits the arrow, and then the Doctor splits the arrow, and this goes on and on and on until eventually the Doctor just gets so fed up, he just blows up the target and says, oh, I've had enough of this. That, again, is just like, just taking it to the point where it's just like, that, okay, that, that, I mean, the, doc, the Doctor actually says quite right, that's enough, and then, um, and that's it. So they take it to the point where it's just absolutely ludicrous, there's nowhere else for it to go, and then the funniest possible thing to do would be for the Doctor just to blow up the thing, and that's one of the ones where it's like, that's if anything, that's like probably even harder to. I assume even harder to program into a sonic device than rotating a log is blow up an archery board. Um, but you know, fair enough. I'm going to let that go because it's really funny. Um, if you're being entertaining, then people will probably let a lot of stuff go that they might not otherwise. That's probably how quite a lot of stories get by with like the science being like really brazenly. Um, um, is just they're very very good, so people will just like I'll let that one slip. And again, it's like I can I f- figure in the tone of this episode that absolutely works. So why not why not have the sonic screwdriver explode? Just um, it's an great as target. well that the two of them are like having a banter between them, sheriff and Robin. Like we'll put the target back, blah blah blah. And yeah. the doctor's almost like no, nah, you know I'm going to show these two, and as we later find out, it's got he cheats. <laughs> yeah it's yeah there's a lot of um and this is i think like moffat era is very much a case of um about insecure men and like i mean i, I don't know if he does listen to this um you check your records and see if see if he does but i've not seen it yet but no um, 
I don't suppose you can really check with that much detail whether it's just like people uh, you don't know exactly who's listening in but yeah if he ever does listen to this I hope he doesn't take offense to that but there does seem to be a tendency to explore insecure men uh, in his work um, which I feel probably comes from himself from from his own life yeah Yeah, Um, yeah. so yeah that kind of thing of just like three um, the three men just being like that's done very well I know it's quite a familiar comedic trope, but it is done very well. And I also love the thing of just like, again, like little touches in this scene. Some of them aren't so little, but some of them are um, a little bit more sort of less big. And obviously the fact that Robin Hood's disguise is rubbish. It's <laughs> just like a hat. And that's it. That's a very good gag. Love that bit. Um, when, the, um, when they move the targets back, and the sheriff is about to fire while people are still moving the target, and he's just like he's barely waiting until people are out of the way to actually fire the arrows. That's a nice little character bit as well. Um, doctor, the doctor comes in and literally, yeah. So he cheats with the arrows. He blows up the target. It is very much one of those things where you talk about the doctor coming, Doctor Who coming into another story and doing Doctor Who stuff. That is like almost that in a nutshell is literally just okay here's that bit from the especially the disney robin hood film and lots of versions of it where's the, the archery contest here is that done for uh-huh. broad comedy played completely straight and then the doctor comes in and uses a sonic screwdriver to blow the, the board up is is very very on the nose and i love it um love that bit um just doctor who coming in invading another story and then the story fighting back a little bit as well it's oh lovely stuff yeah, I mean, it's a great shot at the castle at the beginning to set the scene. Mm. And, um, of course, the sheriff then, because he knows that Robin's outfit's crap. I mean, he's, it's defending yeah. each other, you know. And he orders the knights to seize the doctor, Robin and Clara, because Robin manages to sever off one of the knights' arms. And it's a robot. Um, they just bugger off. I mean, yeah. they're not totally bugger off, but they take the, the arrow and run. I mean, they didn't exactly help anyone get free from this. these robots. They just sort of go, right, we're out of here, bye. Again, it's one of those ones where it's like, I think if yeah, in a in a different story, in a different tone, that would be yeah, that would be crap. I think it's one of those ones. Also, it's like Robin Hood's there. All the Merry Men are there, who presumably people are vaguely aware of of the Merry Men as sort of associates of Robin Hood, and they're not in disguise either. They're extremely obvious. So again, it's like obviously everyone's there, and Robin Hood's there, all that kind of stuff. And I do quite love like the fact it's just like when the actual kind of fight comes in, the main men don't really do anything and they sort of panic and run away. Um, it's also quite a good gag. Um, it's I don't know. It's one of those ones where it's just like if it was a serious Robin Hood story, then it would be a bit rubbish. But it is <laughs> effectively just the kind of um, a quick gag in the in a in the kind of in the arch story. So yeah, it's. It's fine. I think it's it's because they are sort of clearly capable based on later scenes, but also in this one they just sort of I don't know, maybe they just maybe it kind of works as they're actually kind of crap and then this sort of galvanizes them into being less crap later on. Um yeah, I think just taking it as comedy merry men rather than capable merry men yeah, at this yeah, stage. Yeah. I like the robots, how their mask just opens up and then there's this purple light in the middle that shoots. Yeah. Yeah, 
it's a nice yeah it's a nice visual as well and at this stage in doctor who history coming up with novel robots must be a bit of a and you know laser effects must be a bit of a challenge so the doctor actually still uses he uses channels john petrie with his height yeah i i noticed that yeah and um of other people's writing and styles and he's very good at it and Again, that's one of those ones where it's like it's nice to dabble in sometimes, but you wouldn't want it to be like the kind of main no. way of telling stories. Um, you know, that's what Big Finisher kind of it's not it's not exactly what they do anyway, but they you know, they do fill that gap, um, with sort of slightly different storytelling conventions as well. But yeah, it's um yeah. It's nice to sort of dabble in it, it's nice to have the little homage in there. In got, a, it's like, a gator script. You can you got to expect some sort of reference to the seventies. Oh, I always put Easter eggs in. Uh, yeah. What's interesting is that it goes from like this very sort of vivid coloured scene into the muted colours, showing the desolation in this vault where people mm. are obviously getting dragged about or killed. There's the guy who gets killed, of course, and uh, Marion saying, "You know what? Damn you and the sheriff!" And then you mm. see this golden circuit getting filled in with gold, and at this point we're like, "What on earth is this?" And yeah. the Doctor then Clara and Robin get taken to the dungeon where they squabble childishly. <laughs> this old bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think I did like this on broadcast. I think that was a bit where I was like Again, this is one of those ones where it's like it must be really kind of tricky to block this and kind of rehearse it, keep it kind of fresh each time you do it with the talking over each other. Um yeah. this is doing a lot of a lot of work in this scene um just the complete yeah just being that unimpressed it's again it's like sort of two insecure men fighting over um it's just it's really good bickering it's really like the actors are really good they know when to sort of interrupt each other and to sort of Things the dynamic of it and lean into it and they're kind of fake laughter and everything. It's all just like, <laughs> here's all the tools I've given myself. I'm going to have fun with them now. Um, and it is, like you say, it's a weird contrast of like not just the color palette, but it's that bit of when they're trying to do the tone of also people are dying horribly here, just just um, FYI. Um, the most jarring kind of tonal bit. In my um, sense of humor setup is when Marion's like, oh, Damn you, Sheriff! It sort of feels almost like that is, again, maybe going for a little bit of comedy just after someone's been horribly killed because it's so earnest. Um, Like, the way it's played feels a little bit more like they're going for slightly melodramatic. I thought Um, that as well. I thought her reaction was slightly... Yeah, I I did think that's interesting the way that she's looking there. And I don't know, I just feel like tonally that's quite consistent with the rest of the episode but also it's it means that it's another bit where like someone's died quite horribly and you're sort of going okay it's a Mark Gator script so like dark comedy could be expected I yeah so I wasn't sure the tonal balance on that one I wasn't quite sure whether they were being like okay and remember there is actually stuff at stake in this scene stuff is happening that's bad but then like, are they trying to bring that tone back into comedy for the rest of the bickering scene so it's not too jarring? Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it doesn't sort of ruin the episode or anything, but it do- it's a tricky tonal balance that I honestly can't tell if they get right, but yeah, this doesn't, doesn't do it. It does sort of terrible. work, though. 
Yeah, that's what it was. you can't really. I don't know if they could go from um, Marion's horrified reaction to a guy getting lasered to death back to the bickering scene. Um, no, I don't I know. So yeah, maybe that maybe they do. Yeah, they do need that kind of little um, movement back towards. Um, it's like and now torture and now <laughs> back to the room. It's so yeah. Yeah, they have, to, yeah. they have to segue through it somehow, I guess. It's very well lit, but because they put the crucifix in the window and the light just shining in, and the yeah, I mean, yeah, just... I do remember. I do remember trying to think what the like what they were meaning with all the crucifix stuff because that's the laser and the robot as well. And I'm just like, is that yeah. delib- that's obviously a deliberate choice? But does it mean anything, or is it just looking cool? Um... And I think it might uh, just look cool, which is a lot easier because I, I can't work out what it means if it's meant to be heavily symbolic. It was around a lot in that time, but other than that, I, I'm not yeah. aware of any other reason, to be honest. And how the guard, uh, obviously, Clara tells them to shut up after a bickering, the guard enters and says, Well, she must be the ringleader. I was asked to, to listen in and bring the ringleader to the sheriff, and it's obviously her. Yeah. And they're both completely like astonished by this. Like, are you kidding me here? You can't yeah. leave me with him. He's going to laugh. <laughs> it's and all yeah. this. He has this ageism as well. This like he's always making jokes about the doctor. Like, well, you're going to die before me because the way you look, you look as pale as milk. And yeah. <laughs> so oh yeah, no, yeah. The pale as milk and the delivery of it is. Oh, that's that's a lovely bit. Um, just that kind of constant bickering. Um, it's only in one scene or so, but yeah, I think it's there's definitely an element of it's, it's nice for it's. It's nice that Clara gets this bit because you've talked about in previous drafts. It was the doctor went down and got interrogated. Yeah, because yeah, I it's how it worked as well. I don't think it would have worked as well. Um, I yeah, I don't think it would have been as funny. I don't think it would have because it's an exposition scene fundamentally disguised as something else, but it gives them a couple of character bits that I don't think would have been. Yeah, I think this was definitely the best version of it. Um, gets through to Clara being in the, in the interrogation. Um, yeah, so I'm assuming there must be a sort of version of the Doctor and Sheriff cutting about somewhere. But I, yeah, I just it it just sort of is funnier and also gives Clara a wee chance to show like how smart she is um, as well. So it works out really well. They both, after they've gone, the keys go in the water because they're like, no, I'm going to get them. No, I'm going to get them because they've knocked the guard out with the, the headbutt, which is so Doctor Who, you know, like it's very oh, yeah, yeah. and Tom Baker when they butt heads together and that's just, uh, they have to take the whole manacle mechanism with them. <laughs> they can't yeah. even get out. I, yeah, I think that's just, I don't know, just keep going with that gag. And that, again, that's very trad Doctor Who, which I suppose is like, yeah, like that kind of, Terry Nation, Robert Holmes, kind of inheriting from Pulp Fiction kind of stuff. People would have been trapped in dungeons and would have um, outsmarted the guards. And by this stage, it's cliche, and so they kind of they can comment on it slightly, uh, using it. So that's very much having a cake and eating it. But yeah, I yeah. again just it amused me. I enjoyed it. Um, I did as well. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah the the again. Um, Rise delivery of the line about Scottish people and vegetables is um, it's very very good delivery of that line, <laughs> and it's based on uh, based on my son's reaction to getting a vegetable pizza tonight. Accurate. 
Clara and the sheriff. So Clara and the sheriff have this. She's interrogated by the sheriff. So we start with this pig head shot, and then he's looking at the things, and one of them's a batten bird cake, which I thought was so funny. Like this, what is this? And it's a batten bird cake that was in the doctor's pocket. I th- yeah, um, that's again just like kind of a case of kind of a cliche of the genre, I suppose, as well. It's like you've taken of um, what's the past, and they go, oh, "What is this?" And they're looking at a kind of a phone or something, or something anachronistic and I, yeah just using a battenberg cake for it is a, again lovely bit of business and I, I, again this is very much ben miller is really funny in this scene while also ostensibly playing it completely straight uh and also just like in a bit was like clara works out everything that's happened and also again because it's sort of a cliche the backstory about lights in the sky and everything so she clearly knows the genre and she's smart and can work it out and also I was just watching that going, that would have been like the first scene if this had been a Pertwee story. Would have been like the sheriff seeing the lights in the sky and everything. So it's just like, right, okay, we don't have to do a whole scene of that in part one. We can just have it as a kind of one line covering it um, halfway through the story to do the exposition. And so, yeah, you're kind of finding out a bit about the background, the story, all that kind of stuff. And it's the exposition is hidden really well in this sort of interrogation scene. Um, so again, it's like really neat bits of writing here. So sort of doing the kind of, I mean, yeah, I mean, exposition is really difficult. So anytime you can disguise it and make it entertaining, fair play. Um, it's also like, there's a little funny bits in it as well. Um, just just sort yeah, of pep it up. Or saying like she's had a bag of crisps this morning when he's asking, are you know, eating? Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. And yeah, I see this thing of like just giving Clara a kind of little punchline as well. Just is the companions don't get. I don't know. I don't really examine this. Like Clara doesn't feel like a kind of that kind of quip. She's more kind of like doing the kind of Moffat down boy kind of stuff, which, as an expression, if I never hear it again, that's that's. Uh, funny. I mean, I'll be honest. I'm, as, as, if you've listened to a couple of episodes, I'm not a fan yeah. of Clara, or I certainly wasn't in series seven B, because I, I yeah. she was more of a plot device than a than a human being. That was um, the thing with that, yeah, because they were trying to do um, don't treat her as a plot device, treat her as a person. But in order to do that, the Doctor treats her as a plot device, so it's yeah. kind of. I'm yeah, I say much. I like Clara in this, to be honest, but um. Uh, yeah, I, a... I really like Clara. She feels quite. I, I def, I've definitely had a debate with someone online about this. I, she reminds me <laughs> of Rose in the sense of very confident, very much the case of her own person, and will do things that don't necessarily make her seem like a pleasant person, but they are in character for her, and she knows what she wants. Uh, main overlap there. She, that that kind of. And, and also the kind of relationship being kind of volatile and maybe um, putting people's noses out of whack in Series 9, which the Doctor and Rose had in Series 2, reminds me a, a little bit of that. Yeah, but I just I, find Clara yeah. far too confident. I just find her too confident. I think, like, in this scene, for example, yeah. the sheriff is coming on to her, big style, yeah. and she just is so confident. She doesn't get afraid or, or anything. She just sort of goes, no, um, you better just stop doing that. <laughs> I think, yeah, and I think that's, I don't know, I think for Clara, for me, works is because, it's because of that confidence. I think that kind of having a character who is that confident 
um, Doctor just emboldens her confidence further. Like, um, it's a Gator script as well, isn't it? The Ice Warrior one um, in Seven B, and that is so. Watching that series back, there's moments of Clara's personality coming through, but it isn't quite. It's not quite as developed as it is with Capaldi. But there's definitely a consistency there of character of being the kind of person who wants to go in and wants to be really good at stuff and is disappointed if they're not as that self-confidence and so is the kind of person who would be in these situations with the doctor and be like i was good at that wasn't i i was good at that i did that i did the ice warrior thing really well and that is kind of what um reminds me of sort of 10th doctor and rose is they had that kind of confidence and that kind of blinkered confidence. They didn't really see how it was affecting people around them so much um, that you get with Danny in this series. Um, and, and also kind of in the end, it's just that kind of thing of um, she is so confident that she can actually sort of to the next stage and sort of be sort of doctor-like as well. Um, I didn't like when it got to that stage in series nine where they had like yeah. in the credit or sorry at the end of the series in the credits with like her eyes and so on. I know what the idea is, but just like I don't know, it's just something about that just grates on me. But I'm just it, that's just I, think that, that's, that's I just... don't know because I feel like it's one of those ones where the doctor's kind of like that anyway. Like the that's kind of like the doctor's character as being ludic- ludicrously overconfident um, and yeah. reckless. So this is just meeting someone similar to him. Um, and this thought has just occurred to me, so it might not be developed yet. So edit it out if it's crap. Um, but you get the bit where the doctor loses his memories of Clara, and then he's sort of going, Okay, so someone who's like me, someone who sort of gave me that kind of buzz of being similar to me. Um, I don't, I've got space where they were, and I can't really kind of enunciate it that loss. And that's the point when he goes to the mic back to the master and Missy fulfills that role. So, and also thinking about Missy kind of put Clara in his life. So they've, de- and there's that little bit in the Dalek one where Missy and Clara are basically sort of doctor and companion. Um, I think it all kind of links together and those t- like Missy and Clara are also kind of not a hundred miles apart either. Um, is that kind of figure in the Doctor's life as someone that he likes, and that's the kind of thing that you get with some characters uh, likes is when they kind of are that kind of confident uh, person who challenges them slightly. I don't know. I think that's definitely how it sort of works for me anyway. Um, and that's that kind of I've just I, know, I made up that whole thing with like the um, with Missy being like kind of actually kind of like a Clara surrogate in series ten. Uh, but you know what? No, I'm going to stick it. I know, I'm going to stick it. You mean? No, I'm going to stick it in my head cannon for a bit and see how it goes. I just, I don't know. Just something about Clara just doesn't. She's not my favourite companion, but I was actually, as I said, quite surprised how well I actually liked her in this. I thought I was going to, oh god, here we go with Clara, but she's actually not that bad in this episode. No, I think, I think in this one, she's like it shows you that she's smart. She knows. That, the she almost knows what genre she's in. Um it's <laughs> yeah. very like Moffat Doctor Who kind of thing. Uh, and she gets some jokes like that that aren't the kind of thing of Evan had a lot of um had a lot of well I don't know if it had a lot, it definitely had at least one line that kind of um like there's a bunch of stuff in there which is like Clara's very attractive and 
uh, that's funny, I guess. Um, that yeah. was all done in a kind of creepy, kind of cringy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, and yeah. So big, big Moffat fan in many, many ways, but um, quite happy never to never to hear the words <laughs> down. Boy, much better ever again. The There's no doubt about that. She's much, oh yeah, much, no doubt. She's much more real as a person, but yeah, yeah. just something she does just to be just still. It's almost like they're making up as they go along, sort of thing. Where, um, but this. Definitely an element of that with like Clara and Bill and um, the Gator scripts, like I said. Of um, okay, suddenly you're into Robin Hood. Suddenly you're into genre films for this episode. That's fine. We'll never mention it again. Yeah, because she kept That's... going on about Jane Austen another episode, did she know, rather than Robin Hood? But oh yeah, yeah. did they meet Jane Austen off screen or something? I know, um, yeah. and it was like it was, and it was sort of implied that Clara and Jane Austen um, fancy each other. Except Big Finish, I don't know Big Finish did something with it, but I gather they kind of retconned it or something so it was possession or something i don't know i haven't listened to it i can't afford to listen to big finish i've got kids what when would i have time or money to spend on that um yeah um keep up the good work big finish i'll eventually get around to having money and spare time in about 40 years um <laughs> there's too much of it i mean i've got too much of it as well but there's, but there's just they're, they're churning it out so much now it's just i pick and choose now because it's just yeah. I just yeah, I just wait for a sale of stuff that I was interested in yeah. about ten years ago and we're like, oh that's two ninety nine now, I'll get that. Um to work out for me quite well. Uh, I'm gonna get the thing with Clara being I know, I think this is something that I have difficulty coming to terms with as well, is the sort of gut feeling of a character being a bit unlikable. It takes a while for it to settle with me. Yeah. Um yeah. like ten and rose was definitely at the time I was like, that's a bit aggravating and I didn't like yeah. it. I didn't like it. Now I'm just like, it is supposed to be like that. It is a deliberate yeah. choice. Yeah. That's fine. And it, it just takes me a while to come. It's, I know. It's just, it takes me a while to get around my initial, I think gut feeling is quite a big thing as well. Uh, it takes me a while to come around to, I think, no, that's deliberate. You're now, you're allowed not to like them. Um, Sometimes you're allowed to, they're allowed to be imperfect in many ways. Um, I mean, if you if you want your characters to be perfect, then the RTT and Moff eras are not for you. Um, you know, they they very much lean into that. So, yeah, there's definitely sort of there's definitely aggravating um, traits to them, and I think that that can sometimes. I definitely with Hellbent the first time I watched it. I know we're not reviewing that, but the first time I watched that, I was like, okay, that's a bit much. The second time I watched it, it was like, okay, I'm getting there. And the third time I watched it, it was like, oh, I see. This is absolute genius. I'm on board with this. Um, mileage may vary, but it definitely took me a while. Yeah, it definitely took me a while to get there. It was definitely a case of initially I was just like, oh, mm, mm, not sure. And then once the dust had settled, it, yeah. And I feel like that was how I was, responded to Clara quite a bit as well. Um, and Rose is... At the time, I was just like, oh, mm, not sure. And then, it, yeah, it just, this happens with a few Doctor Who stories as well. Um, like Curse of Fenric, I think it took me about seven goes before I liked it. Um, really? Wow. Yeah, it took me a while to get into it, but I love it now. Um, so I, I don't know. It might just be that, um, it might well, just be Well, to be fair, me. it's taken me, I think, the second time watching this to like it. So, it's, you know, yeah. it's happens yeah but yeah i it's i think maybe with um some of the characters who are deliberately a bit abrasive it 
can take a bit of time for the dust to settle and also mm-hmm. it just sometimes it doesn't catch you the right way but yeah i i think i like clara specifically because she's actually kind of doctorish and slightly um and slightly difficult if um the line which is greatest i'm going to take darby yeah i'm going to take lincoln and then the world <laughs> that is that's such a good line delivery of that um yes. because he delivers all of that Again, it's that perfect balance of he knows it's arch, he knows it's silly, but then he delivers the world as if it is the most intense, serious thing, like a Zack Snyder film or something, where it's just like kind of like, no, this is one hundred percent serious. This is in big stakes. This is so important. He, the sheriff, absolutely believes he will conquer the world, and that makes it so much funnier um, as a result of that. Um, like if he'd gone for a slightly camp line reading a kind of Professor Zaroff one, then. Um, it wouldn't have been as funny. <laughs> Doctor and Robin discover a control room. The castle is a spaceship. I like how the the door looks. It looks like it, almost like it's a moon. Yeah. And um, they look at the the database, and they, we talk. We find out about the pro. It's going to go to the promised land again. I mean, look, that whole promised land thing in in this series. With obviously that's where Missy is and all that. I'm not quite sure. How that links into the spaceship going to the promised land? I, I, I kind of, I don't know what that was about, but anyway, it's going oh, to the yeah. promised land. <laughs> but I didn't like the the explanation that it's so sunny, it's so green. You were saying earlier, and so some alien radiations causing it to be green. <laughs> Is that a kind of close of access kind of homage when they were like, okay, we filmed this in July. It looks fucking yeah. idyllic yeah. outside. So we're going to have to put in a line about the weather somehow because Mark Gaius, John Pertwee Homage, why not? I assume that's what happened. Radiation causing it to be too sunny. But, well, it's alien radiation, so... Yeah, I mean, radi- I mean, radiation in Doctor Who does whatever you want it to do. <laughs> you know what to do yeah. <laughs> it's like, it kills the Doctor. It makes the Doctor a bit itchy. It kills the Cybermen. It doesn't kill... It can do whatever. Radiation's <laughs> magic. I thought the Doctor was quite cruel to Robin Yuri. He's obviously saying, like, they've got... They've got all the myths in the database and shows them all the pictures and says, well, you're a fake, you're a robot. And yeah. It's quite I, vicious yeah. for him. I put a note on that, yeah, because like, the Doctor genuinely believes that he's a robot at this point. So yeah. the Doctor thinks he's just proving his point and it's a kind of victory against him. But because, it, yeah, it's, it's, um, it is cruel. Pardon me, accidentally, but it is cruel. And I think, yeah, Robin's reaction is really good then. I mean, yeah, it's like you suddenly end up in a kind of site. It's like, yeah, you've gone from the Robin Hood's tropes and story. Here you are in a kind of fairly generic Doctor Who spaceship in a Doctor Who set. You're back in this story now. And this guy is telling you, you're not real. You're fictional. I win. It, Yeah, fair enough. That is a fa- fair response from Robin Hood to that. Um, yes. Again, yeah, just the kind of little moments of pathos in this sort of work a lot, uh, work pretty well. Um it doesn't sort of overdo it it's not sort of depends on the context of things sometimes you want it to be like soaring strings and everything's epic and everything and here it's just a little bit quieter and it it works why did the sheriff blow the door off so he comes up and i just thought he could have just opened it he could have just opened it yeah he just thought i'm going to make an entrance and blow blow up the door i mean it fits his character i guess He's probably yeah. he's just he's just shouted the world, so he's kind of in. He's probably just blown up every <laughs> single door on the way over. 
otherwise he would have got there earlier. Um, yeah, let's just, I think it just fits his character, the kind of person who blows up doors rather than opening them. And Robin escapes with Clara. The Doctor finds out the Sheriff is plundering gold to play the spaceship. So this spaceship needs gold in particular. It's nothing else. It's just gold. But mm-hmm. hey, we just go with it. And it's too damaged to fly. So if they take off now, it's going to be a gigantic bomb. Mm-hmm. And he gets knocked out and meets Maid Marion in the, the vault place. Yeah, this whole thing where, like, it's at 40%. And then later on when it's at 80%, I, it's going to take off. I thought the idea was that he was going to go down to London to take over the world, but they decide to take off when it's at 80%, and yeah, I wasn't too sure what was going on, to be honest. Yeah, I think at this stage, it's very much just the case of, okay, it's, okay, end game time, um, there was more exposition in there, and they cut it out for pacing reasons, because I suppose the more you have to shout about what's going on as you run around the castle set, the less dramatic it seems. Um, less fun it seems so I <laughs> assume it's that um, I assume he's getting in the spaceship to go to London um, possibly I mean he might have just gone a bit a bit wibble by this stage well as we find out he's a, as we find out he's a robot yeah so uh, yeah he's, he might have just lost it a bit or I don't know <laughs> I'm was he going to go into London like uh, in this in yeah, it was obviously part of the robot's design to install him as like the the king, as it were, so they take over the world or something. Was it? Yeah, it's like he is he partly. I think they hinted it. He's like partly robot, so it's like yes. it is the sheriff of Nottingham, but he's kind of a cyborg now. Yeah. So it's his. Yeah, it's it's his um, maniacal kind of sense of um, I'm going to take over the world, but the robot stuff technology is aiding and abetting him in that, because otherwise he would have just been a kind of regional tyrant <laughs> with no capacity to make it to London. The Doctor wakes up in the vault and Maid Marion's looking at him and the face he looks, he's like who are you? And makes his, this really funny face and decides right, we've got to go out of here, let's have a riot. So everyone's yeah. armed with a shield. You know, it's been making pots and everything, but every there's enough shields going about, so everyone's got a shield picked up <laughs> to, to batter these robots. Are they gold shields? I couldn't really tell on my TV. I assume they were gold. I'm assuming they must have been, yeah. Uh, and while this is all going on and there's a big riot, the sheriff does this brilliant moment of going, you know, marker on a map, mine, mine. <laughs> ah, that's mine as well. And then he opens the, he able, he's able to open a screen on the table. And then it, he reacts to it by hitting a robot. He turns around and bashes a robot and cuts his hand. And he's like, that, why do I get rid of this doctor? That. Again, I think this is, this is the stage where it's like, I guess it's the kind of story it is. It just sort of picks up the pace. And yeah, you can have bits like the Sheriff of Nottingham punching a robot and hurting his hand. It kind of, it kind of fits. But yeah, I mean... I think this is the kind of bit where it's like if you yeah if you kind of looked into it then it probably would be there's a few unanswered questions but I suppose if they try to answer those questions while uh while this was going on it would just be a, it would just be too much noise in there. Uh, you scratch the surface of Doctor Who before every foot has holes in it. It's just no, it's just hmm. a question I had when I was watching. I just thought, where did it mean? <laughs> you know, yeah, 
I'm looking forward to doing time flight because time flight makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, that's I, yeah, God knows what's happening in time flight. <laughs> but the doctor gets uh, kissed on the cheek from Marion, and again he reacts almost as if he's never had it done to him for a long time. Yeah, that's um, yeah, I noticed that as well. It's one of those ones where it kind of, I think that's what kind of solidified the thing of um, the twelfth doctor doesn't really know deal with praise um, at this stage. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, he gets he gets the peck on the cheek from Marion. Actually, yeah, something that, about this, which was very much a kind of story needs this to happen for the story to happen, is they're like, we're going to knock you out, Doctor, and then put you in a room with everything you need. Um, yeah. yeah, like um, everything you need for the end of the story to work, we're just going to put you in there and, yeah, just work it out. Great. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, just like a little bit of affection. And he's like just sort of going... Oh yeah, because he wakes up in a room, he sees a stranger, and his first and sees that they're in a terrible situation. And his first instinct, without really thinking about it, is just to destroy all the robots and rescue everyone. Yeah. That's just the kind of thing he does immediately. So uh, you get that thing of when he is not doing the grumpy front um, kind of facade to everyone, he just immediately is. Doctorish in that kind of sense of the ideal, the doctor that he sort of mentions later, and um, someone shows him affection for, and he's just like, Oh, yeah, no, I remember that. And it's kind of like a little dent in his armor. Um, a few bits like that in this one that kind of I just don't think I would have noticed at the time because I didn't have enough context for them that makes sense. Um, yeah. I think it makes a lot, it's one of those ones where you can go back and look at how it turned out, and it kind of it does sort of fit into that larger pattern. Uh, the sheriff enters. Yeah. <laughs> Being called the revolting one by the Doctor. And I love this bit because it's good to see the Doctor be wrong, so he's absolutely at the sheriff going, Ro he's a Robin's a robot, you can stop the kid in, blah, blah, blah. And the sheriff, of course, says, why would we do that? That would be a terrible idea <laughs> yeah. of creating a robot as somebody who's going to appeal to the masses. And then he goes, well, actually, aye, that would be a terrible idea. He's a legend. I mean... Again, that's the kind of a kind of bit where you kind of get kind of capacity sense of of comedy of it, and he. It's also that kind of thing of initial like when you were watching it. Did you initially sort of go along with um, the doctor said something about oh he's trying to um, give the populace hope in order to maintain the illusion of it with Robin Hood, and you're sort of going okay that kind of makes sense fine. Um, yeah, you kind yeah. of yeah you can you didn't kind of go. And I didn't anyway go, no, that doesn't make sense for the reasons the sheriff points out in this scene. So it is that kind of thing of they know sometimes when to break the own the sort of the their own illusion they have and use that. This yeah, so they I know I get the feeling there's quite a lot of stuff where Doctor Who plot holes where they're just like uh, we know it's a plot hole, but so we'll just face it head on and see it as yeah. Either we're just going to brazenly lean into it and style it out, or we're just going to ignore it completely. And this is one of the ones where they just kind of go, okay, this one, yeah, this one, this is a silly idea. It might have happened to Doctor Who before, but it's a silly idea. So we're going to just, yeah, take the piss out of that. Um, Again, I just the thing of Capaldi's reaction to discovering he's been really stupid is really, really funny. The Doctor and Robert then have their sword fight. So... This is where the sheriff said he's the first of a new breed, because this is obviously this fight 
And the doctor nods because he knows that Robin's going to do the same tactic as he used to him on the log to push him into the, the, the liquid, into the, the gold. Hmm. So, I mean, you could look at that as, well, the doctor's just nodding as if CI just kill him, but we know he's a robot because he's mentioned it. But what would have been even more blatant that that is a robot is, of course, the scene that got cut out mm. where we saw that he was beheaded, which proved he was a robot. But they had put the line in saying, well, I'm the first of a new breed. So he, he's aware that he's a robot. We've just assumed that he knows. Yeah, because I, <laughs> so I remember the um, decapitation stuff because there was like um, there was a terrorist attack, I think, Yeah. at the time. Yeah. And also, like, looking back at it, it doesn't need it. Like... It no. works. It, it, I length. don't. I don't see where it would go. I don't see why it's needed. It just the kind of callback to the earlier sword fight and him falling into a vat um, of molten gold, which human or robot or cyborg is going to kill you. Um, so yeah, um, I I don't really see need for anything else. It seems like it's got everything it needs there already. So. Because I, I, I remember sort of that story at the time and there being a bit of controversy about it and so we're going, oh, they, sh- they should just keep it in because otherwise haven't the terrorists won? It was like, that's, that's not really... I don't no, think that's really... The te- I don't think that's the terrorists winning. Um, no, yeah. There's no, there's, no, there's no need for it anyway in this one. Uh, like, I don't know what the kind of... If you're going to decapitate someone in Doctor Who, then a robot makes sense. Because uh, when it's kind of cyborg or when it's like kind of human-ish, it doesn't really. Yeah, I don't think there's a need for it there. We don't need it either because just after it, you see his hand coming out and it's been rocked, it's solidified. You know when he, mm. his hand comes out. The, so that's another indication. Oh, he must have been a robot. So the audience knows he's a robot. So yeah, it, yeah. it works without it being in. Then we have the the bit that I've got a big problem with the ending. So the Doctor, Clara and Robin watch as the spaceship takes off but it needs more gold each orbit. So they have this idea of using the arrow, shooting it into the side of the spaceship and somehow that gives it enough to go into space and blow up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. How, did, how does the arrow reach the, the ship? Mm-hmm. And also how does it hit in the side of the ship somehow mean that it becomes oh right we've got mere gold now and uh, we can get it just yeah i just i just don't like it i, just... <laughs> I think it's partly down to what kind of story it is because it's the bit of a romp story it's not like um mummy and the orient express it's not like um uh warrior's gate just like it's not a hard sci-fi one. It's not a kind of proper horror one. Yeah. It's the kind of a bit silly one. And the kind of the kind of main thing with the ending is not that the arrow bit really makes sense. It's that the Doctor and Clara and Robin Hood are working together, and the Doctor and Robin Hood especially are joining up to use their That's skills like. to make it work. That's the bit that I think is important. Um, really with this um, I think that I think that basically for me this is the kind of story where that's fine I don't have a sort of strong feeling of I mean yeah I'm not going to sit here and go actually according to science <laughs> makes perfect sense but 
you know, like the show where the, the fucking moon base is defended with a tea tray. You know, it's like it's. <laughs> although actually, no, yeah. I did ask. I did. I did ask. Um, I've, I know a physics teacher is a Doctor Who fan. I did ask them about how accurate. Um, the science in Moonbase was, and I think the tea okay. tray actually might have been quite accurate, but quite a lot of the other stuff was. Um, oh, that was it. You know that Polly makes the cocktail that melts the Cyberman's chest unit. Yeah, yeah. Like she told me that would work, but it would take several hours. So, um, you know, it's there's a kind of element of does it feel plausible? This does not feel like something where you're going oh that feels scientifically plausible enough in the context of the show it's not like um the one uh, there's quite yeah. a lot of second doctor ones that are really really good for your, like scientific absolute bollocks but work in the context yeah. of yeah. um like the human factor and the dalek factor in evil of the daleks Tilty davis had written that he would have been crucified uh probably just figuratively but i can't rule it out um uh, the what's the thing in the invasion? Tobias one is a. a... Silly, I must be honest, but, um, I mean, it's yeah. like an, it works for the story. Yeah, yeah absolutely, just, it works for the story, but I it just, but, but it feels plausible in the context of it. It's not as silly as you know a gold arrow hitting a spaceship kind of thing, scientifically wise. And there's a, there's a gun in the invasion which fires emotions at Cybermen, which is obviously honking science, but it works. Yeah, yeah. It works yeah, for I the just story. Yeah, this, this arrow is... just randomly hitting the side of the ship, and then suddenly, oh, we've got twenty-one percent. Let's go. Wait, what? I don't know. Is like, it like maybe like that kind of? I think it's just one. I think it's one of those things where you know fundamentally that it's not worth making a case for. Like, oh, the gold arrow hits, and gold is quite soft, so presumably it gets a bit squished, and there's a little bit more gold on there. And one was watching this, and the gold arrow thing, I was remembering. Silver Nemesis and how Lady Painful has got gold arrows and how outside of fighting Cybermen they would be absolutely fucking useless in all that other is situations. True. That is true. I don't. Um, I don't think the, the 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 arrow. Although there is a silly thing of an arrow killing yeah. a Cyberman. Yeah, yeah having a gold like, arrow it, is really stupid as an offensive weapon. Yeah. Come on, but I think yeah, yeah it's like yeah. it's. Like if you kind of try it to analyze the science of it, I think it's just going to be disappointing. Um, on this one, do you know, I think it is just one of those ones where it's just like, do you know what? It's you just have to get on with it. You just have to get on with it. <laughs> this is not the crux of the story. The crux of the story is not whether or not it makes sense. Um, for the gold arrow to save the day. Um, I think it is just one of those ones where it's like, okay, with this is Chekhov's golden arrow, let's fire it. And let's all and let's all have a happy ending. I think it is just one of those ones where the kind of story it is means that just go with it. It's not gonna be it's not like um they they did something like this in you know, um Death in Heaven or the the series finale where tonally <laughs> and contextually that would have been so jarring and weird in the kind of bit of a romp story. Fine. Yeah. I get what you're saying that it's more plausible in a romp story than a very serious one, and I do like the fact that the Doctor and Robin. The bit I did like was the Doctor and Robin working together. Yeah, and like I think putting that's their differences the, yeah. sort of behind them and working together to do the arrow and all that. That's and then the, the loop that's the starts, key bit. Yeah, the guy starts playing his song again, and the guy takes the thing, the loot of him, and says, "Give it a rest." Yeah. 
it's just a kind of nice a nice bit of business. Nice bit of comedy business. It's my cat wanting in. Oh, animals are welcome in? on this show. <laughs> you want it in? I'm talking about Doctor Who. You know what Doctor Who is, do you? Okay, Doc I assume it's raining and that's why you're here. Did you catch any of Robot Show when I watched it? What did you think? You thought it was scientifically implausible and the comedy was not to your say. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, and so the, the ship cats... blows up. Yeah, the ship blows up it's for obvious up, scientifically sorry, plausible reasons. It blows up in orbit, you know, so Sherwood is, is going to be fine and the, the sheriff's gone. So I'm assuming that what will happen is the forest green and the, and the sunshine will probably stop because the ship's blown up. So that'll probably go back to normal. Yeah. And the Doctor and Clara bid Robin farewell at the TARDIS, saying, like, I like the bit where Clara says, don't give up, you know, always be amazing. Then, of course, there's the big moment between the Doctor and Robin, where Robin speaks to him about that Clara told him all about the Doctor's story, and that he's sort of, he's just been told, you're, nobody's going to remember you as a man, you're going to be a legend, a hero in a story. And he, he's basically saying, well, you're the same. Yeah, I, I love that bit. I mean, I'm a sucker for a bit of metafiction, so uh, that was right down my street. And again, a nice little twist, a nice little bit of the kind of way Robin delivers it as well. Uh, a bit of business. And I think it's just that thing of like, um, there's a few bits like this in, in the Moffat era because that he's very into meta stuff. Um, Extremist oh, yeah. does this a bit as well. Um, and I really like that bit. Where it's just that kind of thing of... Um, just because it's a story doesn't mean it's not real on some level. Um, and they're kind of two, essentially two story characters meeting each other and celebrating that they're stories. Uh, that's that's right up my street. Yeah. Love that bit. I think definitely on broadcast, that was the bit I really liked as well. Um, specifically, that's the bit that's always kind of uh, stuck with me as the kind of favorite bit of this. Yeah, um, that is so I think it's just, yeah, I think it's just that kind of little. I think it's just that little bit of um, it's. I just realised what it is. It's we're not so different, you and I. It's like the Austin Powers thing. Um, yeah, yes. but it's just yeah, it works for this, and it is just that kind of thing of um, because obviously like pseudo historical as a genre, pseudo historical with people who are made up is um, as the kind of main historical character is. I think new for this. So yeah, I don't know if you could really do it again. Uh, after this but yeah it was a nice twist on that formula um that kind of really fits with all Moffat's fixations and Gatiss is a good pick for this one um yeah I mean I think some folk are still waiting for the Nodi episode that Donald was talking about but I don't yeah. think that's gonna happen uh but yeah it's just that he's he's so angry and then he has the Robin chats to him and then he's he goes from saying I'm not a hero to shaking his hand and I'm sort of having an understanding saying yeah yeah and Clara I think that's says the... that you like him. Yeah, I think it's that thing of just um, that's that kind of thing. Even at this stage, they know that twelve um is, you know, is putting on a front. Most of this grumpiness is masking his insecurity. Is more kind of a thing, a kind of his armor for him in a way. Um, like the same way Robin's laughter is. So yeah, I think they know what they're doing with that, and it's a nice, nice bit of combination work just to kind of square that off at the end, and. And also, yeah, that kind of thing of the Doctor likes him and indeed has... Well, again, this is one of those ones where if you start thinking about... Um, I used to work in admin, so occasionally yeah. I would just be like watching Doctor and going, well, that would be really difficult to organise. 
So like, with this one, he presumably was like, okay, so rather than just going straight to Robin, okay, I know you've been missing him, you haven't seen him for ages, but, um, and you you know, your, your father's dead and you're traumatized and everything, but could you hide behind this blue box for a bit? <laughs> and then it's going to disappear. Just go with it. Just go. It's going to disappear. You'll never see us again. Uh, but Robin will be there and you could be like, surprise! Uh, and Marion, yeah. apparently, after everything that's happened, goes, okay, I'll do that. Um, and they do so. Just yeah, it's one of those ones. Just like great bit of television. Does it really make sense in terms of what people would do in the circumstances? Absolutely not. The story ends with after that a great shot where he says, "Thank you, Doctor." And he shoots an arrow just randomly up the tree, but into the camera. Which yeah. again, as you say, probably if you think about it, doesn't make sense. But we hey ho, we just go with it. It's a nice little part and shot to the episode. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of this, but which is based on an assumption that the audience is quite media literate, and that here's Robin Hood tropes, here's some Doctor Who tropes, let's mash them together, and then there's some things that are happening because it's a TV show, like firing the arrow into the end, and that's cool because it's a TV show that kind of it's assuming the audience is not going to. And again, I think this is gut reaction gives a bit of detail of this. Is that if you don't like it, you'll be like, well, that didn't make sense. That didn't make sense. That makes sense. But if you go with it, then the bit of the arrow at the end is kind of a joyful bit of catharsis uh, that works, even though it makes no sense in terms of the actual, <laughs> if this was actually happening, you'd be like, why did you fire the arrow into the sky? Whoops. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of, is that a, you know, expression of joy or something kind of, I suppose, uh, in there? But yeah, it's like, it's clearly there because it looks cool on television. Uh, and it is on television. So that's, that makes, that's fine. That makes sense. Um, yeah. Um, I think the first time I watched it, I wasn't too fussed. And the second time I watched it for, I don't know, possibly just a rewatch, possibly just writing an article about Capaldi or something. Um, I was like, oh, this is really good. And I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. And then rewatching it again for this, I was just like, yeah, no, this is really good. This is really, really fun. Um, really fun story with a little bit of depth to it. It's like it's pretty well made. It's a bit um bit compressed towards the end, but it's it's nothing that I think is they sort of dense it especially. Um yeah, I think the bit of a romp story needs some um, needs some love because because they're because they're designed to be fun. They're designed to be a bit throwaway. I think this is probably one of the one of the best ones. My final thoughts were the same, actually. I was shocked how much I enjoyed it because I'd never really been a fan of the story, but I thought, I thought, oh, my God, Capaldi being grumpiness is actually really enjoyable rather than what on earth is this? And Tom Riley's really good as Robin Hood. That's the other thing I wrote down. He, yeah, he's just... he Again, it's like they're kind of a difficult balance to be um, Errol Flynn kind of panto version and also a sort of real ish person with actual you know feelings and drives and motivations which are there they're kind of kind of simmering away in the background just enough to kind of give you a rounded sense of him and yeah he, he does that really well and i'm really glad to sort of hear from you that you know everyone got on and like, when they were filming it because it is really funny and everyone's putting yeah. on a front um apart from clara who's just like that um, but everyone else is sort of putting on a front and um, trying to sort of peacock around, and it just works really well. Some other uh, things, I, I, I will let you get to your bed tonight. I'll, 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 I'll make this really quick. Um, some other facts I found out 
were red. Originally, the TARDIS didn't repair itself when the arrow was removed. So there seems to be, like, in some stories, something goes into the TARDIS and then it repairs itself. Other times it doesn't. But, yeah, originally it wasn't going to repair itself, but they added that in. But that's just all. I didn't so even notice it had done that. <laughs> the spoon was a special one to protect Capaldi's hand. So okay. they Seems... must have created a spoon from her that was bigger or something, I'm assuming. Um, um, yeah, maybe a bit stronger. I'm just like thinking about it. There's, I don't think I would rate not the chances to talk of about any the... of my spoons in, in a sword fight. <laughs> not to uh, go about the end of the game, but the director was actually disappointed that there wasn't a more complex shot of the golden arrow firing into the ship. So maybe there was more to it, but they didn't do it. I mean, yeah, that's, that seems quite plausible. Um, or, yeah, I mean... Grand, I mean, you can see from the redrafts, it's always quite interesting sort of seeing these things. Maybe there was a more in-depth version of it that just went down to, we're in a hurry, anti-plastic it, go. <laughs> yeah. There's quite a few cut scenes in this. Uh, the first one was in the TARDIS at the beginning where the Doctor says, I hope you're not implying that there's no Father Christmas because I take a very dim view of people who say that. A very dim view. Miserable, life-hating, pin-headed, it's not Santa, said Clara, so she must have... It must have been a bit before she said it was Robin Hood. Um, okay, yeah, just for timing reasons. That Santa thing, I'm sure that crops up somewhere else as well. Yeah, and then he just... ironically meets Santa or yeah. in the last Christmas. Uh, Clara had a go at uh, the tournament disguise, like we are talking about earlier. What's wrong with it? It's just a hat, it's not a disguise. Well, I can't face my enemy with two false accountants. Can I, my lady? That would be dishonourable. And then there's... there's Glad they took other... that out. There was a cut line about, so that's it, robber robots. Robots who rob, that's what they are. They nip around the universe, pillaging planets, and so no one notices. They blend into the local environment, like my ship does. There's just lots of little character bits that got cut out. Um, yeah, you can see where they cut all of them. A monochrome edit of the episode started to circulate in August that year, so this was one of the episodes that got leaked. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It was a monochrome edit that went, and I think that had the, the decapitation in it. But oh yeah, that rings a bell. I'm sure I saw a picture of it somewhere. So yeah, that makes sense. I, I think it was first four episodes got leaked. Yeah, that ring. Yeah, I think it was. They were saying, "Don't spoil anything. Don't put things on Twitter or something spoiling it." And probably everyone did anyway. Oh, yes. probably yeah. I think I just stopped going on. I think after someone told me about the um john sim character like oh. uh, yeah the john sim um sort of character in series three i was just like i'm just not going to get on forums outside <laughs> of like the kind of dvd bits or something because yeah sorry yeah just that kind of just for that thing um and i don't know so being on social media is a bit risky as well because so you, you can mute as many words as you want but you're still not going to avoid finding out what happens in most stuff um yeah yeah i know again this is just having kids as well because we haven't made it to the cinema for anything really i haven't had as much time just like i find out most of what's happening in the mcu now based on like people talking about it on twitter and okay. I, I feel like that's actually if anything it's quite a quite a lot cheaper and i um doesn't actually i don't actually feel like i'm missing out too much which is weird considering i was sort of watched the first Four phases of it also fairly consistently and then I'm just like, eh, not so fast now. <laughs> stick out moment? Stick out moment. 
I think the kind of bit we both say is the kind of that stuck with us is definitely the ending of it. Where like in terms of sort of character things, the Doctor and Robin Hood have come to an understanding. They both like each other. But also that little metafictional bit. Um really like that bit. I knew you would say that, so I picked something else. <laughs> I like the spoon fight. Yeah. It's just of this fight and obviously they get chucked in the water and everything. I just think that's a nice little scene. I think if I had to pick a back at one, I would think I would say the sheriff's bit of first Nottingham, then Derby, and then the world, because I'd forgotten yeah. that scene, and his delivery of the world made me cackle. Um, <laughs> I was just like, I'd forgotten it. I was just good. like, that is so silly. I love it. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. It's been great speaking with you over Robert Sherwood. Um, where can listeners find you? If you um, want to be found, obviously. Yeah. Oh, what can I be found? Um, well, I've got um, I've got a website, andrewblair.co.uk, and that's got a link to quite a lot of Doctor Who stuff I've written. And um, if anyone uh, needs to hire a junior software developer, please email me um, using the email on that. Otherwise, I'm mostly on Twitter, but um, not really sort of tweeting that much these days, apart from complaining about St. Johnson. Um, I don't know how many St. Johnson fans are interested in that. My experience is not many. I'm around uh, online a bit, but I think just, yeah, go for my website, andrewblair.co.uk. And yeah, there's a section on freelance writing, which has got a bunch of um, Doctor Who stuff on there if you want to have a read of them. Because a lot of it is, you write a lot of poetry, I believe. I do write poetry, yeah. I haven't written stuff for a while, but I had some books out a few years ago and so I used to do a lot of um, live stuff and yeah so um, I think there's a if you go to speculativebooks.net I think there is a pamphlet of poetry which is called the Arpats Facts 2020 which is about okay. about a version or versions of Robert Pattinson and the context of it is quite specific it's in the book if you want to sort of if you want to discover more of it and there's like videos of me reading bits of that online as well if you want to um see that it's quite silly uh hopefully quite funny so yeah that's available um if you want to read that i think i've got links to all that stuff on my website as well if anyone um it's a wee section there if you want to look at that cool i'll, I'll check out some of your poetry thank you well hopefully i can uh, maybe tempt you back next for another one sometime um, oh yeah no lovely <laughs> 